Hello, and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Well, good to see you guys. Did you know that it is, do you know that today's Pentecost? You know, it's the, the 50 days after Passover and it's been celebrated for thousands of years and for the past couple thousands of years, it's taken a little bit of a turn from a Jewish celebration into something more Christian celebration. And um, so it's a, it's a big day um, for us. And I think what we'll do today is maybe a little bit of a Christian uh, history because it is our heritage, right? And maybe wrap our minds around some of the understanding of what this reality means for us. And um, it's, it's not a, what would you call it, a, a charismatic holiday, so to speak. But as, as much as, you know, sometimes we want to be distant from that word because of so many of the other things that come along with it, you know, um, it, we, we, we is that. You know what I mean? We, we, you can't really help the, the reality of what Christianity is. And it's the story of it all is just so beautiful how no one really knew what to expect in the inauguration of Christianity in the church. What church and what Christianity, what the walk of the Spirit is, what it meant to be born again, you know, meant. And um, even the disciples walking with Jesus for those three years, they, didn't, they, they hadn't grasped what was going to happen, you know. He was telling them these things, like Acts 1.8, like, you know, you know, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Like, like when the Spirit comes upon you, you are, going to be, you are going to be empowered to be my witnesses to all of Israel and Judea and even to the ends of the world. And so in their minds, Spirit and power, a lot of times what it looked like was the book of Judges, you know, you know ripping people's heads off. Catching foxes by the tail, you know, Samson, and, you know, Gideon, routing these huge armies, all these, these it's like X-Men or something, you know, Star Wars, you know, the, these, these powerful things where we would overthrow the quote-unquote bad guys off of our nation, Israel. And, um, but that was a very limited scope of, the, of how large and, and the great thing that God actually was doing, which he was actually redeeming the entire world and calling it back to himself as one family. And it's such a beautiful thing, this walk of the Spirit that is Christianity. And that we started to discover our ancestors in this faith nearly 2,000 years ago, 1,993 or you know, whatever, however many years ago, about, about that actually, you know, on this day in Pentecost. And, 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 you know, I was just thinking of like, do you ever think about dimensions, you know? Different dimensions, multi-dimensions. It sounds like some uh, Star Trek uh, TV show or something like that. But the reality of like, could heaven and earth actually overlap each other? And you think of Jesus's message, walking around saying the kingdom of heaven is actually at hand. In other words, it's cl- much closer than you think. Amen. Because what does that hand mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's right there. And he walks around demonstrating things and doing things that seem to be violations 
of the laws of physics in this realm, like walking on water, you know, like manifesting food out of thin air, multiplying food that wasn't there before, you know, as if he was actually pulling something out of heaven and releasing it onto the earth, but it was so close to him. And he was demonstrating this walk of walking by the Spirit and the prayer that he gave us to pray that our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth the way it is in heaven. In other words, let's transfer that place into this place. And so he walks around and demonstrates it and tells the disciples, the things that you see me do, you're actually going to do the same things eventually. And not only these things, this is John 14, but you're going to do even greater things than the things that I do. Amen. And to be honest, I feel like we have been conditioned, maybe even groomed into unbelief in this life and in this world. And even by religion, Christian religion, to not expect or believe the things that Jesus has actually spoken and demonstrated for us to actually walk after him doing the same. And even more than that. And so... I was thinking about this, this um, multi-dimensional walk that is Christianity today concerning, you know, the Passover into the Pentecost. And I thought about Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John 3. This, this religious leader who is more than just a Pharisee, you know, he was a ruler of Pharisees, had a lot of pull in the religious community, but... His brain was itching with something he needed to have scratched. He couldn't get over the fact that there was something about Jesus, that everyone else wanted to demonize him, but there was something about him that he just could There was more. There was something there. And he had to find out for himself. So we see John 3 that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, so none of his colleagues or friends or anybody would see him, because he was a pretty well-known guy, which I love the heart of the Lord Jesus. It's not like, oh, you're embarrassed to be around me? Well, then, you know, come back tomorrow at high noon in front of everybody if you really want the goods. You know what I mean? It's like he actually entertains them. He actually talks with them. And um, Nicodemus is literally hinting at trying to find out the identity of the Lord. No one can do these things that you do unless God's actually with them. Like, I, I can't escape the reality of the goodness of God being manifest through you. And everyone wants to demonize you, but I just can't do it. To which Jesus answers him something. And how, how many of us know when the Lord answers a question, a lot of times he answers the question of the heart, not even the question that we're asking. He, likes, he cuts straight to the root of it, you know. <laughs> so he starts talking to him. In such a strange way, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one's born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. In other words, it's amongst you, it's within you, it's around you, but you won't even be able to recognize it without being born, born again. You know, Nicodemus, who thinks carnally or naturally, how can, he be how can somebody be born if he's old? Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. And then he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I love that right there. That which is born of the natural is of, of, of the natural realm, is of the flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is of the spiritual, supernatural realm, the eternal realm. Don't marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from or where is it going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
He's articulating these truths, the reality of this covenant that he's come to make. But he's saying it in what would be seem like dark sayings or, you know, kind of a riddle in a sense. But it's blowing Nicodemus's mind. Because man was called to be of, you know, in the world and of it in a sense. He was made of the dust of the earth, but his life was breathed of God. You know, that's Genesis. But ever since the fall, ever since the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that poisonous fruit of judgment, religion, knowing good and evil, a rule and regulation list, severed us from that relational walk in the spirit that we were called to walk in. And man, who was born of the spirit and of the earth, you know, created of both, was almost, uh, uh, we're going to be real charismatic today, but he's a multidimensional uh, being, you know, became carnal or earthly only. You know what I mean? And so here's Jesus telling Nicodemus, the ruler of the Pharisees, a religious, you know, brilliant man, but it's just like, hey, it's, you've got to be born again. That which is born of the flesh is the flesh, but, but that which is born of the spirit is of the spirit. Like there's, there's something that you're missing. You're, 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 you're blindly recognizing it, but I'm telling you how you will see it plainly, you know? And um, Nicodemus is like, his, you can see Nicodemus' brain kind of hurting in, in John 3, 9. He's like, how can these things be? To which Jesus asked him, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen. And you don't receive our witness. And it's this, this interesting, I feel like Jesus is including him. Almost as a father teaching his son, you don't know this? This is how we're supposed to teach, son. We teach those things which we experience. It is not our head knowledge because it goes brain to brain. It is that which we have lived and are understanding by the Spirit. And that is true understanding which is transferable. You know? There's a reason when Jesus would talk, people were like, He's not like the scribes. Something feels different about the way this guy talks. He's on to something different. It has authority with it. I feel what he says. You know, If I've told you earthly things, and you don't believe, how will I tell you heavenly? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. That's verse 13 of, of John 3. No one has ascended. No one's gone up except for the one who came down. And that, I'm talking about the Son of Man, who's actually in heaven. And this is where you see Nicodemus' mind being really unraveled. Because here's Jesus saying something. No one's gone up, but he who come down, and that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. So here's a third person. Here's a title that Nicodemus understands. The Son of Man is, is the title of the God-man. The Son of Man is a quote from the book of Daniel 7. Many of you know this, and, um, you know, but it is, the, it is the, the, the one like a Son of Man in Daniel 7 who's actually coming on the clouds of heaven, and he's approaching the Ancient of Days. And there's this heavenly transaction of what, what I would call the ancient of days or the one of God who is outside of time and space. And then the son of man, one, is a, one who is of this realm, but he's also of the clouds of heaven, so he's also a deity, which was also a very, very much, you know, Daniel 7, written by Daniel in the time of the Babylonians, and which their God, Baal, was literally the God who rode the clouds. So it was a real slap in the face. They're saying this son of man that's coming out of our lineage is actually the God and he's actually meeting God. So there's this two, 
this dual, this two Godhead figure in the Old Testament, right? And here Jesus is actually articulating it to Nicodemus, who knows the Old Testament, has it memorized, at least the Torah, fully memorized, and understands and knows Daniel, and he's literally articulating himself as that one, that cloud-riding God-man on the earth, who actually has actually been to heaven and actually has come down to heaven from heaven, and he's actually in heaven right now. He's, he's articulating this reality to Nicodemus that I'm with you right now, and I'm actually in heaven right now. This is the multi-dimensional God living in a reality that is so beyond this carnal man's mind. But he's saying, if you're born by the Spirit, these things will start to make sense to you. But can you feel the brain of, of a religious mind just hurting to try to understand this? This, this, this sounds something spooky, new age or something, man. I gotta get out of, you know, this is weird, you know. But he's, he's saying it in, 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 in lingo that this man can understand and he's unraveling in his mind. And it's beautiful. It's wonderful. And um, you have this picture of God who is actually fulfilling the covenant with mankind as a man and as a God simultaneously, which is in itself beautiful. That's the grace of God that we're walking into. But you have this multidimensional reset of mankind becoming who he was intended to be of all time. Someone who actually functions in the spirit on earth and releases heaven onto the earth. And Jesus is actually saying this to somebody in a way that, that he probably had to wrestle with and grasp, but like, you know, Nicodemus is one of the men who literally came to Jesus to take him off the cross and bury him. He got to the point where, like, I don't care what all my colleagues think, you know, eventually. It was like, I'll, I'm going to help anoint his body with Joseph, and I'm going to put him in the tomb. Like, he loved the Lord. Amen. And I'm sure he met him after that. Um, you know, but the, the point of this is, is this, this spiritual walk of Christianity, it is not spirit-filled Christianity, and it is not being a charismatic. It is only Christianity. You dig? Like, you know, Jesus literally says this to Nicodemus. This is where we have John 3.16. As the serpent was raised up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, you know. You know, it's, it's just, whoever believes in him should not perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God didn't send his Son to, to judge or condemn the world but to actually save it. All, these, all these, these wires of the bipolar judgmental God all in one small little passage being taught in the dark to one person and written down for us to see of just like, hey, you're far more limited than you've ever known. But he's forecasting this Spirit of God and this supernatural spiritual walk of these people that are actually multiple. <laughs> I, 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 this sounds really strange, but they're, we're multidimensional beings that are called to release heaven onto the earth. Amen. And if you look at Jesus' words through the whole New Testament, through all the Gospels, he demonstrates it and says it on repeat. We have the, we have the privilege of hindsight looking back and understanding things, but they did not. You know, they, didn't, they didn't understand what this thing was talking about. But now we have sects, S-E-C-T-S, and, and divisions amongst Christians in, in the Bible, you know? And, and it's just like, um, uh, the reality is there wasn't this. Like, super, Christianity is profoundly supernatural and mystical. And all the prophets prophesied it. You know, Jeremiah 31, 33, you know what I'm saying? This, this, the spirit that would come upon us was, was so full in the scriptures 
the last verse of Isaiah 59. You know what I'm saying? Like my spirit, this is going to be my covenant on you. Like my spirit will be in you and in your descendants and your, my words in their mouths from this time and forevermore. Like it's never going to stop. The new creation, this, this spiritual supernatural walk that is Christianity. Like there's no such thing as a Christianity that's not spirit filled. You know, it's just not. I know there's a lot of things called spirit-filled or charismatic that are, they feel really unsafe and they feel really crazy and they feel, you know, it just makes you uncomfortable. It does not feel like God at all. And there's a good reason it doesn't. There's a lot of it probably isn't. You know what I mean? But man, there's a lot of it that is. You know? And the prophets had prophesied this on repeat. Ezekiel 36, 26. Like, this is the covenant that I'm going to make. Like, I'm going I'm to completely cleanse you and wash you and I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. And I'm going to take the heart of stone out and put it within you, a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26. Like, so we have all these, all these prophetic things that were, that were like a mosaic just thrown all the way through all these Old Testaments that nobody fully, really understood until Pentecost started to really make sense. You know? And um, it's a beautiful thing. It's incredible. Because we think of Pentecost, and it's like, yeah, like we can go through it as Christians. That it, well, we've heard this all the time. And, you know, you know, you, you just got you got baptized, you can feel the spirit. You know, they spoke in tongues, and you know, all these people. But but there was there was so much more that was going on in the world in those days, and it, and the scope of it was so much larger, you know. And so, you know, a couple of directions that we could potentially go in this, but. There's a story in Genesis 11 about the Tower of Babel, right? And it's this tower that was built, in, in, in air quotes, to reach into heaven. It was man's attempt to get back into that spiritual dimension that he had been removed from since Eden. It was highly inspired by the demonic and maybe even built by those who were partly demonic, depending on you know, what you think and what you believe. But it was a series of rebellions against God that was initiated by the dark side. And, you know, many of you know just like the understanding of things like um, Genesis 6, you know, when, when the sons of God, the Benai Elohim, the, these, some people say the angels, you know, Peter calls them angels, Jude, I believe, calls them angels, you know. But they reference the story that's in Genesis 6 and in the book of Enoch and all these about this transgression of these angelic beings that came down and, and mated with women and created a, an entire different race or type of people that were in the earth. And that type of people was all over the entire earth. You know, the Bible calls them, we, we, King James call them, you know, ne, uh, giants, but we translate that word from Nephilim, right? It was the real word of it. Or Nephilim, or, you know, there's a couple of ways to say it, but I'm kind of like a white trash redneck mixed with, you know, I don't, I pronounce things bad anyway, so I'm just going to try to just cruise all through all that, but, you know, um, get out of it as fast as I can, you know what I mean? Hopefully nobody will. Uh, so anyway, so you have this, 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 these race and these beings that are in the earth and that are in the world, and that's what the, you know, Noah was perfect in all of his generations. In other words, his, his bloodline was pure, and so there was this flood that happened to, to give us a, a great reset um, over the world. And so this had happened, and then Noah and his eight and the eight people, and they, and they got out, and, and the world started over again. But it wasn't long after that that one of Noah's grandchildren, you know, 
of the, of the lineage of Ham and of, of Canaan comes out and they started doing things that were inspired highly demonic. And one of the things that they did, and it's, was actually to try to build this Tower of Babel, Tower of Babel to get into heaven. And it's a, it's a funny thing if you've been to Sunday school as a kid or you had little books, it's like this, it looks like a picture of a tower that just like one of those winding staircases that goes as high and high. Almost like these like Neanderthals were trying to build a stairway or a tower to heaven, you know what I mean? Which is highly inaccurate because they were obviously very intelligent in those days. The technology was maybe as good if not better than it is now by some of the things that are built in the world. And um, they built this Tower of Babel in the plain of Shinar. So it wasn't on the mountaintop, it was on a plain, it was on a low-lying area. So it obviously wasn't about height, it was some sort of probably a pyramid type of structure or stargate. You know, a lot of the archaeologists feel like they found it and by its dimensions and stuff like that. I think it's quite probable what it was and what it is. It was more something that was demonic and an attempt in our own strength and man's strength and flesh inspired by the demonic to get back into the spirit, to attain to something. Of course, God thwarted the plans. What it resulted in, instead of making a great name for mankind, was confusion in all of the languages of the world. And if you, if you read something like Deuteronomy 32 is a commentary about that story, and Deuteronomy 32.8 says that's where all the nations of the world came from, was those languages. You know, the people were divided according to the number of these sons of God, the Benai Elohim, that same, that same word that was in the beginning of the book. And so we know the Tower of Babel resulted in the confusion of languages, people trying to get into the heavens, trying to get into the spirits in their own strength, um, inspired by something dark, and released utter confusion over the entire world, caused all kinds of division in languages, and it was a bad thing. And so that's a little bit of the, I mean, I guess you could say uh, the recap on, on the Tower of Babel, but maybe a little bit of out of place, but we're going to get back to that. So that wasn't just for no reason or for my own fun or entertainment, you know. But what we have to reverse that tower was Pentecost. Yes. And we see and we know through the story of Pentecost, the thing that actually happened was this in Acts 2, the Spirit of God was literally poured out upon these 120-ish people, men, plus all the women. They had been in an upper room, depending on how you look at the language, they were either in the upper room when it happened or they had actually come down into the temple. A lot of scholars believe that. I think that's probable, but I don't really know which one it is. I think I know it's one of them, but either, either aspect has a really cool um, look to it because it was Pentecost, and during that celebration there was thousands of people, if not 100,000 people, in town when this actually happened. And what we know is like the Holy Spirit literally comes in like a rushing mighty wind, which I think, you know, take it out of just our, our new King James, but understand it was like the roar of a tornado, a roaring hum like a train that's right next to your head came in that people all over the city could hear. So the people heard the roar and actually made their way to whatever was going on. <laughs> And we know from that story in Acts 2 is people literally became baptized with the Holy Spirit. The inauguration of Christianity started to hit. And people came out of, whether it was the upper room they came down and came outside, or if it was the temple they came out because there was thousands of people there. And all the people that had, that had made this pilgrimage to Israel during this, this festival, all these different people were hearing their different languages being spoke by people who did not know their languages. And so you have this upheaval, this complete reversal of everything that happened on the Tower of Babel. 
by the Spirit of God and by God doing it Himself. And these people just waiting upon Him. Those who waited upon the Lord, you know, renew their strength to mount up with wings as eagles. Like there was no, none of their strength was involved. Pentecost hit and boom, these people were different than they had ever been. And it was beautiful. And it was wonderful, you know. And all these people heard their languages. So the very opposite thing that happened in Babel, it started to be reversed. And it was God's stamp on the reality of like, this isn't about making Israel a powerhouse in the world and overthrowing Rome. This is about the ends of the earth, you know, being redeemed. And it's just a wonderful thing. And if you can imagine, like, we, you know, we celebrate Pentecost and it, it, we, we think about this roar, the roar of heaven that was released to where all the city could hear it. And they were like, what is that? What is going on? But everybody was on edge. Because we're talking literally 50 days ago, Jesus had just been crucified. And it wasn't a small thing that happened. You know what I mean? It's just like, talk about the rumor mill in, in the city and in the town after Jesus was crucified. You know, he had been, you know, he had been trumped up on false charges. He had been arrested at, in the middle of the night. He had a lot of followers still. We think, oh, everybody had just left him. You know, his disciples got scared and ran off and John came back. But it's like he got arrested in the middle of the night and was crucified the next day and was dead already by three o'clock. So there's not a big time frame period where he went through these literally multiple tri trials, you know, Pilate and Caiaphas and all these other people, you know, and he's already out. And it's like this wonderful move of God. So they, so they thought had been thwarted and was over with. And, and there was a lot of disappointed people. But then we know the story of what happened three days later. You know what I mean? There was a breakout. You know, Matthew 27, 51 and 52 says after Jesus was resurrected, there was multitudes, probably hundreds of other people that were resurrected. And that's actually in our Bible, you know. That's so weird to me. It says they literally were resurrected and they came out of the tombs into the towns and showed themselves to people. Amen. And it's just like, what? People who had been dead for a long time were walking around the city like, hey, guess what? Ding dong. Hey, you know what I mean? And then what? Just show like, look at me. <laughs> I don't, what, does that, what does that look like? But what, what, is that, what kind of supernatural buzz does that do to the, to the region? Just them. Let alone Jesus. You know, let alone Jesus in, in the garden playing, literally having fun with it. Asking Mary, like, whom do, you, whom do you speak? Who are you seeking, woman? Why are you crying? It's like, you know good and well why she's upset and crying. Just tell me where you've laid him, right? John 20. He goes, Mary, she lunges, grabs a hold of him, you know what I mean? Like, hey, after a while, he's like, hey, don't cling to me. I haven't gone to my father. You've gone to the father yet. Like, hey, go and tell the disciples. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, like, all right, all right. There's, there's still some other things to do. Go and tell them. I'm not leaving yet. And we know this. We know this because it literally says there in Acts 1, he, he showed himself to people over a period of 40 days. So the 40 days... You know, we're at Pentecost now, so 10 days after. But those 40 days, Jesus is popping in and out. He's coming by people's houses. He's on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 with those guys. Then he's back in Jerusalem with the disciples multiple times. He comes back and meets Thomas. He's on the beach making breakfast. You know, how many people is he visiting? The Apostle Paul, I like, the Apostle Paul kind of gives a list because he considers himself one who was born outside of time. You know what I mean? 
And in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, he kind of gives his own list. says he appeared to, to Cephas, which is Peter, right? Then the 12, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. He said most of them are still alive. Some of them fall asleep. It's like Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. So it, our number's growing. All the dead people that are walking around, probably Joseph, the old you know, Pharaoh's sidekick, you know, he's walking around. You know, all these different people... Um, the buzz in town, when you hear this roar, everybody's already thinking things are different. There was an earthquake, right, when he breathed his last breath. Matthew 27, 51, the, temp, the curtain was ripped from top to bottom. Literally, the, the veil that was between realms of the holiest holies, which only the high priest could go in once a year, like that was ripped. So it was like, like the, the flaming sword of the angel, the cherub that stood outside of Eden, like that that was removed like jesus came and opened up a whole nother realm for us to be this go-between to us to walk in the spirit and we we have all these things we have galatians 5 walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh you know we have this walk this supernatural walk that we're actually called to and it is nothing but basic christianity for all of us it's not christian mysticism you know what i'm saying it is the fruit of somebody who knows god who is spirit and those who worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. It's really cool. I love that. 500 believers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Well, this was written a long time ago. But in verse 7, he says, he, he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of us all, he, he, he appeared to me also. That's Apostle Paul hung out with him. It's interesting because he taught the Apostle Paul how to take communion. Jesus comes back to the Paul and teaches him how to take communion. And, and you know, 1 Corinthians 11 and 12, uh, 10 and 11, Paul, Paul's actually talking about that. It's, it's so wild. In other words, like the other side is a lot closer than you people think. But I did like that. I, I was reading that a little bit because he, he specifically says that he's, he appeared to James and also to the, and then he appeared to, and he also appeared to the apostles. So the James that he's actually talking about is Jesus' half-brother, who ends up being like the bishop or the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Which I love that. Like, it's not in our scriptures. It is in Galatians. In Galatians 1, 19, Paul the Apostle says he came and he visited with James, the Lord's brother, after he had been visited by the Lord. And so we know by putting two and two together, this is why he's referencing James in 1 Corinthians. Like, no, I know he was visited as well because I met with him about it after he visited me. And there's writings in the early church fathers that are really kind of interesting about James. James is... Uh, Jesus' brother, a half-brother, really, I guess, you know, because Jesus' dad wasn't Joseph. But, you know, it's, it's that James, when Jesus died, refused to eat or drink. He's like, I'm not eating. He stopped eating. And um, he ends up being the, the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. But um, the, the writing in the early church follows that Jesus came to him. And it sounds like the writings of Paul, he actually came to him before he came to the disciples, which is interesting, um, his brother. Because we don't see that side very much. But the quote that James told the church fathers was, Jesus showed up to him and he says, My brother, eat your bread, for the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And um, I, it, that just gave me chills thinking about that. I don't know why. And, um, but Jesus coming to his brother, hey, my brother, like man you're really upset huh <gasps> eat you some food man the son of man is risen from the dead and i love this you know and there he is again 
the Son of Man, the God-Man, the one who rides the clouds of Daniel 7. They understood these things. And um, the very thing he said to Nicodemus, it's actually the thing he said to Caiaphas. Remember that at the very end? <laughs> it was like John 19. He's like, you, you, he tells Caiaphas, the high priest, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. And Caiaphas, that was, that was a fish. You're calling yourself God. He started ripping his clothes. Blasphemy, we don't need anything else. That was the straw that broke the camel's back or the Caiaphas' back or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I just love that. But there's this 40 days of wonder and buzz that's happening to all these people. And they're talking about it. And it's in the town. And the whole town is shook. There was an earthquake when he died. The sky went black. That was crazy. You know, some of the centurions that were standing by the cross were like, that was, he was the son of God. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a little late, you know. But he found out right when he died, like, okay, he was the son of God. But what does this mean? It means heaven and earth that had been separated since Eden were no longer separated. The earthquake hit, the veil was torn from top to bottom, there was something that was starting to bleed in. And this church, this thing that was birthed at Pentecost, was birthed out of heaven opening back up on a bunch of people. You know what I mean? And it's like the buzz in town was like something trippy's going on, and so all of a sudden you start hearing, I can't even do an, uh, an uh, uh, I can't even do a, uh, I can try to do something, man. But just, you hear some strange sound you've never heard before. They don't have trains there. You know what I mean? Um, it's just like, what is that roar? Everybody's already on another. If you have an encounter with the Lord, every encounter that I've ever had, whether it's angelic or the Lord or whatever, in prayer and dreams, I mean, all these things, visitation, whatever it is, it rattles you for a little bit. You know what I mean? It kind of makes you a little sensitive, a little jumpy maybe, okay? Um, but it's like if something's real. And it's like something real was hitting and everybody was, was sensitive to that side. And then that roar hits, <laughs> you know what I mean? And we have this picture of these, the, the, the pillar of fire that used to cover Israel in the wilderness. The cloud by day and the fire that covered them by night, the people group of God, that pillar of fire literally manifested inside of a building that they were all in. And then it divided itself into tongues, tongues, divided tongues over all of their heads, floating on top of their heads. What kind of a weird cult are you trying to start? You know what I mean? But it's just like the tongues that had been divided at Babel through man's own efforts and strength to build something, to reach heaven, to, to be God-like, you know, to get back to this level that they felt they once were but by their own works that released such darkness because there were so much strings attached was being reversed. And this pillar of fire, this, these fire tongues, instead of over the people, now are over everybody. It was like you have the covering of God over you in your life now. He will never leave you or forsake you. He never really did. Amen. And these people were to walk out as the ambassadors of heaven itself. Amen. You know, and we know the story. Peter stands up. <laughs> we always say hindsight's twenty twenty. you know what I mean? But he stands up because people are like, these guys are drinking. These people are drunk. They're intoxicated. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Peter in Acts 2 is like, they are not drunk like you're supposing. Amen. And it says all the Cretans and the Arabs and all the different genial all the different races and stuff that were there 
or ethnicities that were there were hearing their own languages and they were already convinced. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. They're talking about God to me in a language I grew up in. That's weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm pretty sure he don't speak my language normally. Um, you know, so it, it was freaking everybody out. But for the ones that were like, oh my God, you know, Peter's like, hey, they're not drunk like you're, some of y'all are thinking. This is Joel 2 happening. You know, that I, and it shall come afterwards. Talking about this new covenant, another one of those obscure prophets, you know, prophecies in the Old Testament. I will pour my spirit out upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. In other words, there's no, all your little rules and regulations, there was this many men there, you know, it's like, God's not that way, he doesn't see that way, those are your rules, he doesn't play by them, your sons and your daughters will be, will be, will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. You mean our prophets, right? The ones that are in those offices, like, no, 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 no. This is the new covenant. This is the reality. This is the Isaiah 59. This is the Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the Ezekiel 36, 26. This is all of these things prophesied about the Spirit of God being poured out in this new religion that is that. It is a relational connection to God who is spirit that people will walk with and they will release His kingdom in heaven onto the earth. They're not drunk like you suppose. This is Joel 2. You know what I'm saying? On your manservants, on your maidservants. You know what I'm saying? This is happening before your eyes. And it says, he, 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 you can read Joel 2, but he, I mean, um, Acts 2, but it just goes on and articulates, this is what happened, this is who Jesus was, this is who you put to death. It says they were cut to the heart, which I love that. Because that is Ezekiel 36, 26. I will take the stone, the hardness of heart out of you, and I will put the heart of flesh so you have the Holy Spirit within you and you have this heart of flesh that is sensitive to when we violate love and we go on a dark path. You know? And then we have this Spirit of God who leads us into all truth. Who also empowers us to be His actual demonstrators. You know? That's what the whole thing was about. That's what John 16, all the memories that the disciples had of Jesus talking, like John 16, 8, you know what I'm saying? About the Spirit that was going to come upon Him. You're going to do... There's three major things you're going to do. You're going to reprove, convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of, and of judgment. That's what he said in John 16, 8, right? You're going to reprove. You guys are going to be empowered in a way that you're going to change people's minds. That's what it means. He says of sin because of unbelief. You're going to actually demonstrate that sin and separation is a lie and it is broken and I've covered it. And you're going to change the unbelieving mind to believing. That's what that literally means right there. Mm -hmm. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. In other words, I'll be with you. He's going to be with them for about 40 days. But after that, you will be those who are the, um, the representatives of the resurrection of the dead. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, for 40 days, Jesus is like, I'm going to be what you call living proof. Like Thomas, right? If I don't see it, I won't believe it. Jesus shows back up. Thomas, touch my hands. You know, touch my side. Thomas is like, my Lord, my God, John 20, right? You know what I mean? It's just like his mind is blown. He's like, but eventually I'm going back. And then you guys will be empowered to approve of what righteousness truly is. The justification that comes by this grace, this sacrifice that I've made. So what did I say? Sin and of righteousness because I go to the Father. 
and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Doesn't mean, golly, man, where were we? We just went to Andy's with the girls the other night. There were some guys screaming, dude, on a microphone, saying some of your favorite quotes, dude. I mean, literally saying like, you don't know, you could die tonight in a car accident, shouting it on the square, you know what I mean? <laughs> You, you, know, the, you know, the judgment of God, they're preaching this turn or burn message, you know what I'm saying? But, but the, the Spirit of God within us doesn't, doesn't preach that judgment. You'll, you'll uh, sin of righteous judgment, of judgment, he says, because the ruler of this world is judged. In other words, you're going to be empowered such a way that you're going to do the same thing that the Son of Man was manifest to do, which is to destroy the works of the devil. You're going to be able to manifest authority that trumps his authority his darkness that he's put into the earth. The Holy Spirit, this day, Pentecost, is about Christians being empowered, relationally connected and empowered. And it's true and it's real. It's our whole Bible. And there's no getting around it. There's no undoing 1 Corinthians 12. All the giftings of the Spirit, which we are not even limited to. The endowments that all believers get and have the ability to develop. You know what I'm saying? And obviously we see that one demonstrated in Acts 2, the speaking of tongues and prophecy. There's a couple of those, but there's, so, there's the working of miracles, there's healing, there's, there's discerning of spirits. That's the discerning, angelic, demonic, all these different things, this sight, miraculous powers. All these things were in 1 Corinthians 12. It's not an X-Men movie. We've been conditioned and groomed out of it, you know what I mean, by the tree of knowledge. But it's not these things. There's, you know, there are people who are gifted in profound ways that they don't even realize because they've taught not to realize it. Amen. But the reality is, Jesus Christ inside of, of the newest believer is the hope of glory, Christ in you. You know what I mean? The Spirit of God. And we've been equipped to do so much more than we're even probably touching in the world. And it's a simple matter of truly believing what he's done. You know what I mean? Romans 8 literally says, those who are led of the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And it goes on to say, and these are the ones that all of creation is groaning and longing for them to be manifested. And that sons, it's, it, it's, it's a mature word, like it's the huios, the mature sons of God. Like, those who are, there's something about walking in Christian maturity, which is not just memorizing the Bible, which I'm a big fan of it, the Bible. But what I'm saying is, it's actually knowing the God of the Bible. You know, when they went into the tabernacle in the temple, the only way they could eat that showbread, which represented the written word, was by the, the seven candlestick menorah that was lit in there every single day. You know what I mean? The light of the Holy Spirit, this baptism, this reality, this, this walk, illuminates the scriptures for us to see it in a way that we live it and understand it and it becomes a part of us. You know what I mean? And there's something to having our lives ordered according to the word of the Lord that is, that is like an elementary foundation of real true Christianity. It is the voice of God in our life and us actually being led of Him in all that we do. And usually, when we're afraid, like when I was young and I would hear stuff like that, I would be really afraid because I would feel like He's going to steer me in a direction that I don't want to go. I'm going to have to listen to music that I don't like. 
I'm going to have to go sit through things that I don't want to sit through, and I will never have fun or be successful in life. <laughs> you know what I mean? And partially, I did have to go to church for the rest of my life because I do this as a job. <laughs> but it's not as painful for me as I thought that it would be. That part is is great, but um, but the other stuff, not at all. You know what I'm saying? It's the most exhilarating life we can actually live. You know. And the reality is we're called to live and abide in such a way with the mind of Christ, the Spirit of God within us, that we're living an empowered life in the earth, in partnership with Him, connected to Him, releasing heaven everywhere we go. You know what I mean? And that's basically some real fundamental basics of what I would say, Pentecost. I mean, there's we could go all day, which I'm, uh, trust me, I won't. So don't be afraid when I say that. Um, but it's like there, there's such a a simple and pure reality to knowing the Lord in all of our lives. That Proverbs three: In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. It's just like, hey, man, if we want the direction of God, an obedient heart to follow through on the things that He speaks to us causes us to enter into this relationship to where he opens doors that nobody could open and he shuts doors that nobody could shut. You know what I'm saying? It's just like he, he steers us and he, and, he, and he leads us. The Lord is our shepherd. The fear of the Lord is God consciousness. It's the reality that he's always there. And I think it's time for many of us to step into a higher level of that reality. To where it's, it's, in, our, it's in our thoughts all day and night. We're never without him. You know what I'm saying? We're the delight of his heart. We've been fully and totally and completely redeemed by him. There's not another hoop we need to jump through, another prerequisite. He doesn't see who's dirty and all this shame and all these. There is no condemnation in this religion called Christianity. Romans 8, 1 says, it's like there, there isn't any. It's just like everything's handled. Our job is to know him and follow through on what he does speak. But the beautiful brilliance of this day, this inauguration, you know, Peter speaks this, 3,000 people are saved, they're added to the church, like they're, they're there's, there's, there's Christianity, starts, starts with a bang, or a roar, you know what I mean? And um, this is our heritage, so, Lord, we do, we thank you for this day, I thank you for everything that you've qualified, that you've, that you've covered us, that you've purified us, and um, that you desire so much more even for our lives than we can, we can imagine. And Lord, I ask that we would truly walk in the relational connection that you've called us to walk in, in this family business, which is Father in heaven, hallowed, separate be your name from all that it has been added to that shouldn't have been. Your kingdom come in and through us as a church, as a group and as individual believers every every circle of life that we're in and let your will be done and your kingdom come and heaven come in and through us all the days of our life amen